Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians today. Uh, We're actually in between series, and one of the things I love about that is it gives me the freedom just to go, you know what, this is something that's been on my heart recently, because we normally plan our series six to 12 months ahead of time, and by the way, the Holy Spirit can speak to me six to 12 months ahead of time if he wants to, and we lay our series out just so we can plan well, Uh, but in moments like this, it's like, hey, I got the opportunity to share something that's fresh on my heart. And, um, and so I want to share a passage with you from 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, um, Paul started the church at Thessaloniki by, um, he, he received this Macedonian call. He goes on a second missionary journey and he begins preaching and reasoning with uh, other um, Jewish people, Gentiles in the synagogue there. And uh, week after week, he's doing this. And finally, the, the Jewish religious leaders get angry because he's converting Jews to Christianity and they don't like that. That's bad for business. And so they run him out of town. They literally threaten to kill him. He goes to Berea. They follow him and and his compatriots to Berea and drive him out. I mean, they are out to get him. And so he only spent, um, most scholars think he spent less than two months, uh, probably more like a month, something like that in in Thessaloniki to start this church. So what happened is he starts his church, people are converted, but he's not able to go deep in discipling them because he just didn't have enough time. And so what happens is he has to write letters later to help disciple them because they were so new in their faith, they kind of got squirrely and started doing some different things and he had to bring correction. So when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter four, he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about what it looks like for us to grow in our faith and be shaped into the image and likeness of Christ. And that's where we're gonna pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. I'm gonna start in verse one. And Paul says this, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what uh, what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, what is he saying here? He says, hey, we, we want you to live in a way that pleases God. Now, here's the thing. When we say live in a way that pleases God, most people would agree with that. They would go, yes, we wanna do that. The problem is for many people, that is a wildly subjective phrase, live in a way that pleases God because we all might have different standards for what that looks like. Um, that's why you've got people who would call themselves believers who do things that are very contradictory to scripture. So he says, live in a way that pleases God. Well, let me take just a second and and give you some ideas of what pleases God. In scripture, um, Hebrews chapter 11, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to have faith to please God. And it's not just faith that we can wish upon a star that we believe. It's that, that we have faith that is anchored in Jesus Christ. He is the source of our faith and he is the anchor of our faith. That It is Jesus Christ. It is all about him. So we anchor our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13 uh, says that, that whenever we do good works, and we live generously, it brings pleasure to God. God is pleased whenever we do good things and, and just are generous with the people around us. And radical generosity is one of our core values. We love to live generously, but it's not just that we're generous, it's that we have faith that's rooted in Jesus and that faith produces good works in us. 
It makes us, it drives us, it's a catalyst for us to do good in the name of Christ. And it produces generosity. And God is pleased with this. We also see in the book of Romans that when we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God. So when we do things that, that our flesh wants, when we go, well, hey, I wanna consume that or I just want that and it's contrary to scripture, we can't please God. So we can't have this dual life, which many of us struggle with, where we go, hey, I go to church, but I still do this and this and this and this. Because when we live in the flesh and we gratify the flesh, we can't please God. So I just want to lay a little bit of a baseline. So this is what he says, but it's interesting because he says, hey, we want you to live a life that pleases God. But then he says, you already do this. You live this way already. It's like, well, great. We're good. We, our work here is done. We're finished, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, and we encourage you to do so even more. Do you know what Paul's saying? Essentially what Paul is saying is, you may be fine with where you are, but that's not where you need to be. You may be fine with where you're at in your relationship with Christ, but that's not where you need to be. Do you know what he's saying? Do better. Do better. I think Paul was probably a terrible counselor. <laughs> because I think, I believe, I, I believe I think like Paul sometimes. And I, I'm a horrible, horrible counselor. I have people that'll go, do you, do you do any counseling? Like, yeah, but you, you don't want me to do counseling. Because that's what my counseling looks like. I'll have a couple sit down with me and they'll be like, oh, Pastor Mel, we're really struggling and, and we fight because she wants me to do dishes more and I don't want to do dishes more. And, and so we're fighting. And it's like, well, do dishes more and you'll stop fighting. <laughs> Done. Two minutes, we're finished, right? Like we don't even need to meet again. Goodbye. My work here is over, right? Now I just struggle in my thought life and sometimes I think this and... and well, stop thinking that. Just quit it. Like when you, when you think about thinking, then just stop thinking that, just don't do that anymore. It's like, you're Saul, I just, I just cured you right now. You're good, right? And Paul's saying, do better. Hey, you've done pretty well, but do better. In our context, it might look like, um, hey, you've been watching online every week do better. Some of you right now are thinking, we picked the right Sunday to come to church instead of watching online, right? Like, whew, that's not us. Paul might say, hey, you, you've been dropping a five in the offering box every week. Good. Do better. Hey, you, you love your spouse. Do better. Hey, you, you spend time with your kids and you love your kids. Do better. The title of my message this weekend is, is Do Better. <laughs> this is what God wants for us. I want you to make sure you hear this. It's, I didn't say that's what God wants from us. Well, come on, you do better, come on, come on. God is rooting for us to do better. He is saying, you can do better. I've got more for you. There's more for you to be involved in. There's more for you. I've got a bigger dream for you than what you're currently living in. Do better. Trust me more. Live more generously. 
Sacrifice more for your spouse, for your kids. Love them bigger, honor them more, do better. And I've said this before, I've never preached a message for you people where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna zing them with this one. I've never written a, a sermon that I'm like, I've got somebody in mind and I just stare at them the whole time I'm preaching it. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Every sermon I've ever preached was for me. Like, like, I need this, but if you guys get something out of it, that's a bonus for me. In all honesty. So when I, I'm preaching this to you, I don't want you to think about it as being heavy handed. Like I'm going, you people do better. I'm the preacher and I'm up here and you people are down here, do better. Now the way I want you to receive this this weekend is, is me going, oh Lord, I, I need to do better. You, you guys do better with me. Come on, let's do better together. Does that make sense? Come on, I wanna lead the way in doing better. Let's do better. Hey, I, I need to honor my, my family more. I need to love my wife better. I need to, so let's do this together. Can we? So I don't want you to be, I don't want you to feel like you're being condemned or judged. I want you to know if you are breathing in and out, no matter where you are on a spiritual scale, there is room for you to do better. There will never come a day when me as your pastor achieves perfection, sainthood, where they're like, okay, we just got to put him on the shelf because he's arrived. Like that's not going to happen. As long as I'm alive, there's going to be room for me to grow and to be sanctified and shaped into Christ's image. And that's why Paul is saying, do better. Don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable with where you are. Don't get to a place where you say, this is good enough. Cause I'm telling you good enough is the enemy of God's best in your life. So, so don't get to the place where you go, you know what? I was really on fire for Christ, but this is good enough. You know, I really loved my spouse, but this is good enough. We've settled into a place. No, I talk to churches all the time, all the time that are struggling. And the common denominator between all these churches is at some point they stopped being focused on what they needed to do better. And they started focusing on what their preferences were, what they wanted. That's why, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that's why churches split over new carpet in the auditorium. Well, we want this color and we want this color. Well, that's ridiculous. And we're leaving if we don't get the color we want. That happens. Do you know why it happens? Because they stopped going, God, help us love you more. Help us honor you more. Help us bring more glory to you. <laughs> that was an awkward part. <laughs> I don't know if you heard it. Her Bible started playing and it was the part that said, my body. <laughs> Out of context, it just said, my body. <laughs> I'm like, ugh. So complacency is the enemy of God's best in our life. Complacency will conquer our desire to please God if we let it do better. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says this, God's will for you is to be holy. This is really simple. You want God's will for your life? It's easy. God's will for you is to be holy. If you don't know how to be holy, go back to our series we did in January called Holier Than Thou. I would encourage you. If you didn't listen to that or watch it, go check it out. It'll help you 
develop a lifestyle of holiness as you're pursuing God. So he says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. It's interesting. It doesn't say God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sin, which would make sense, but he's speaking to a specific issue. He's speaking to people he knows. Thank, thank God that our culture doesn't deal with sexual sin anymore, right? It was just back in the first century. This is just as good for us today. Paul's saying, stay away from sexual sin because it is different kind of sin than other kinds of sin. And it's so easy to go, well, it doesn't hurt anybody, Mel. I'm just, it's just a little pornography. Nobody even knows and it's not that big a deal and it's not hurting anyone. Mel, we're, we're consenting adults. What's the problem? I mean, yes, I'm married, but my wife is like this and I could justify because she just doesn't love me and I get the affection and the attention and the affirmation I need from this person and you just don't understand. It's not hurting anyone. And I'm telling you, it's hurting people. Even if, if all, all you're doing is looking at pornography, it's hurting people. It's hurting you. It's causing damage to the, the person you are looking at. It's causing damage in your soul. It goes on to say in verse six, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sin as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit. So what Paul says is, is this is hurting people. It's, it's hurting the, the husband. See, marriage is supposed to be about covenant. And when we break covenant, it hurts the person we're in covenant with. It hurts the people that are related to the other person. There is damage, this is a damage domino effect across the board. There are things psychologically that happen in our brains that literally our brains are rewired when we look at pornography or whenever we have illicit relationships with people we're not in covenant marriage with. It's crazy how it changes us, how it shifts us. And we think it's about the rules, it's not about the rules. See, it's not about disregarding rules, it's about disregarding the heart of God for his people. It's about that person. If you are single and the, the person you are dating is single, you have a, a relationship, you hook up, you might go, well, hey, we're both single. We're not cheating on anybody. It's no big deal. You might not be married to that person, but that person probably will be married to somebody else someday. And that is their spouse that you just slept with. You're dishonoring the future covenant. You're causing damage to yourself and to others. And it's not that God is trying to make you keep the rules. It's that God wants the best for your heart. He wants the best for you. And that's why he implements the law. He goes on to say this. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. He says, we don't need to write you about that, but, but I'm writing you about that. Indeed, you already show love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. 
We urge you to love them even more. Do you know what he's saying? Hey, you love people really well. Do better. Do you sense a theme? Do better. Oh, you're doing great. It's still not enough. Keep going. Keep going. There's more for you. There, there, are, there is more ahead of you than behind you, so keep going. Keep loving more than you're comfortable loving. Keep sacrificing more than you feel comfortable sacrificing. Keep honoring more than you feel like they deserve. Keep blessing. Keep doing what God has called us to do. We just keep doing it. We keep going. We honor God. We, we do better. Verse 11 says this. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and, will not, and you will not need to depend on others. So this is all part of this idea of sanctification, that we love, we just do better, we go further, we let God work in and through us, we pursue him in relationship, and when we do, he transforms us. Then he kind of wraps up this section and he says, make it your goal to live a quiet life. And this is interesting because we live in a very loud world. Our world is loud. Um, and, and it feels like people don't do things quietly. We live in a world where we will post our breakfasts on social media. And I want you to know something. I love you. I don't care that you had the waffles though. It does not matter to me. It doesn't change my life at all. But we feel the need to tell people, eating a Trace Amigos for lunch, check it out. Awesome, enchiladas. Why are you showing me this? Vacations, trips, people we spent time with, whatever it might be. Selfies are the worst, by the way. It's not just girls, the guy selfie. Let me just help you. If you're a gentleman in the room and you have ever taken a shirtless selfie in the mirror of the bathroom, <laughs> delete all your social media right now. Just delete it. You need to repent to your wife whenever you meet her someday. Just tell her I was a failure as a man because I took a shirtless selfie in a bathroom mirror, but I'm doing better. Social media is drama, and you know what? I hate drama so much. I hate drama. And drama comes from us living loud lives. One of our core values here at Summit is healthy relationships. And what we say is we wanna love sacrificially and resolve conflict biblically. If we can love each other sacrificially, if I can put your needs above my needs, and if we do have conflict, which isn't inevitable, it's, it's going to happen, it doesn't matter how big the church is. If you got 15 people in a church, there's going to be conflict because there's 15 people. So if you have 1,000 or 1,500 people, there's definitely gonna be conflict. That's not a question. The question is how do we handle the conflict? And, and our core value says, this is how we handle conflict. We resolve it biblically. This is what we do. This is, this is good for your home too, by the way. This is good for your house. This is good for your workplace. This is good any place you don't want drama. But the truth is some people do like drama. Don't be friends with them. This is what it says in Matthew 18. Jesus gives us a recipe for solving drama, resolving conflict biblically. This is what he says. 
If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. I'm gonna stop there. I wanna make sure you see this. If another believer sins against you, somebody offends you, hurts you, trashes you, whatever it might be, go privately and point out their offense. Go privately and point out the offense. It's underlined and I repeated it. I don't know if my mic's on, I'm gonna say it again. Go privately and point out the offense. Is there any question what we do? You're still wondering? Go privately and point out the offense, just in case. You know what it does not say? Bury the offense in your heart and hope that it goes away. It will not go away. Do you know what happens when we just push it down? We go, well, I don't wanna have that conversation. I don't wanna make a big deal out of it. What happens is if it's, if it's unresolved in us, we're gonna start growing bitterness. We're gonna start getting angry. We're gonna start getting frustrated. And that might be the best case scenario. Oftentimes what happens is we don't go to the person to resolve the conflict. We go to our people and resolve the conflict. Can you believe they did that to me? I can't believe they would act like that. They acted like they didn't even see me. Well, maybe they didn't see you. You shut your mouth, Chartreuse. They saw me. For those of you that are named Chartreuse, I apologize. Why? Because we're going to somebody, we're just not going privately to the person to resolve the conflict. So we, we build a coalition, we get people on our team, and yeah, you were wronged, I can't believe them. We live a noisy life. Drama builds. And we don't understand why this conflict is happening. It happens because our hearts are not submitted to God. Conflict's going to happen. This is how we resolve it. Go privately and point out their offense. Then it says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. So you go to them and say, I, I don't think you meant anything by this, but when you said this, this is how I felt. And, and I, I believe the best in you, but I just want you to know, this is, it really hurt me when you did that. Can, can we talk about that? Can I, can I, would you just tell me like, what was your motivation or what caused you to do that? Can we work through that? And if they're like, that's your problem, not my problem. I didn't do anything wrong. You just need to build a bridge and get over it. Well, okay, can, there's no repentance, there's no feeling, there's no softness. That's where we have a, a backup plan. It says in verse 16, but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So you take a couple people that you trust spiritually, not just people that are biased on your team. You know, you don't take your best friend and your mom to go with you. You take somebody spiritually you trust that are unbiased says, take them and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So people will be able to go, yeah, here's what's actually happening. If the person still refuses to talk, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now I wanna help you with this. That doesn't even mean you cast them out of the church and, and refuse to talk to them because what Jesus was teaching them is you treat tax collectors and prostitutes and people that are unclean, you treat them well, you honor them, you respect them, but you have different standards for them than you do unbelievers. So what he's saying is not trash them or hate them. What he's saying is, You've got to understand, change your expectations. They're an unbeliever. So don't expect them to act like a believer. Give them the grace to go, well, they're gonna, they're gonna backbite. They're gonna gossip. They're gonna hurt me because they're not a believer. They're not following Jesus. Of course, that's how they're gonna act. 
This is our pathway for, for healthy relationships, for resolving conflict biblically. And this is the thing. Sometimes when we, when we say, I'm not gonna have conflict, I don't wanna have that conversation, it's too hard. Because that's what happens when it comes time for us to have the hard conversation and go, hey, you really hurt me? We don't do it. And we think we're doing them a favor. Well, it would be awkward for us to have that conversation. And what we're doing is saving ourselves a hard conversation. We just don't wanna have the talk. I don't wanna have to say, hey, you hurt me. We don't wanna look weak. We don't wanna look soft, anything like that. There's a, a clinical psychologist that I listen to from time to time. Many of you might listen to him or know him as well. His name is Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. And Dr. Peterson said this. He said, conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. So if we refuse to have the one-on-one -on -one conversation, we go privately and go, hey, can I talk to you? We refuse to do that. We, we delay the conflict. It multiplies. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger because of what's going on in our hearts. Because after six months, we finally have the talk and they're like, you felt this way for six months? Why didn't we talk about this six months ago? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So what do we do? We have the conversations. We live quiet lives. We do better when it comes to relationships. What if we got off social media? I deleted Twitter. My life didn't come to an end. I'm rarely on Facebook. And I gotta be honest with you, I've never loved you people more. Because we all can post some crazy things sometimes, but now I don't have to worry about some of the crazy things you may post. I can just love you. I just see you at church and I love you. Oh, it's great to see you. What if we didn't feel the need to publicize every trip and every meal and every relationship and every moment? What if we were comfortable flying under the radar and we didn't need the attention from others? What if we just lived quietly? Minding your own business. There was a, a theologian, philosopher named Will Smith. Yes, that Will Smith. In his iconic movie, Men in Black, he said this. He said, don't start nothing, won't be nothing. And here's the thing. Some of us have drama in our lives because we start the drama. We don't mind our own business. We get into everybody else's business and then we don't understand why we have drama all the time. Well, I don't understand. I went to this job and there was drama and I quit and left and I went to this other job and there was still drama. Those people were full of drama. And then I left there and I went to another job and I still had drama. It's like, hey, I got a clue for you. Maybe you're the drama. Maybe you've been starting messes everywhere you go and because of that. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. You'll be treated as you treat others. The standards you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. This is a popular verse for people who have done stupid things, <laughs> right? We do something stupid and somebody goes, hey, should you have done that? And you go, judge not lest you be judged. You know, it's serious because we quote it in the King James. We, lest ye be judged, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. That's what the Bible says. You can't argue with that. So, well, yeah, technically that's what that says. Actually, what it's saying is, it doesn't say we shouldn't judge. It says we should judge wisely. So when we judge someone, we don't judge them with a spirit of condemnation. It's a spirit of correction. It's like, I, I wanna help you get back on the right path. So I'm gonna judge you, but I'm gonna judge you well. I'm not gonna judge you unfavorably or try to be a jerk. Does that make sense? Because if we bring that kind of air into our judgment, that's how we're gonna be judged. 
And so Jesus cautions us against that. And he goes on to say, verse three, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eyes? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Let me help you with this. Some of you men are gonna go home today. You're gonna be like, honey, what are we having for lunch? And your wife's gonna say, sandwiches. And you're gonna say, baby, you remember what the sermon said? Pastor said, do better. (laughs) Do better. And I'm just telling you, if you do that, your wife will murder you and I will testify as a character witness on her behalf. You deserve it if that's what happens. But she can flip the script then and say, he also said, don't you be judging my speck when you got a log in your own eye, big boy, right? Be careful how you judge. And this is what we do. We do judge and we're not fair or impartial about how we judge. We see other people do things and we go, I can't believe they would do that. Can you believe? And do you know what Jesus is saying here? Mind your own business. You take care of your business first. You take care of the log in your own eye before you worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. You, you get your business right, and then, then you can help people with their business. If I will focus on me being healthy, it's amazing how little time I have to judge others. When, when I focus on pursuing Christ, it's amazing how I have grace for others in their pursuit for Christ. But I, got, I become pretty judgy whenever I start being pious about, well, I'm good enough and things are good and I've arrived and I'm okay. And all of a sudden I start seeing whatever the people are doing and I want, somebody should do something about that. Jesus said, mind your own business. You get that log out of your eye first before you worry about the speck. Next thing it says is working with your hands and you go, well, well, I don't work with my hands. I work in an office. So I'm not like a craftsman of any kind. Well, that's not really what he's talking about. The spirit of this is to be productive. He's saying, produce something with your life. And here's what happens in so many churches. People will attend church and will become complacent because we'll go, oh, I'm good because I go to church. I mean, I go to church on Sundays. Sometimes I watch online when I'm not there. And, uh, and so I'm good. That's great. But my question is, what are you producing? What are you producing in your life? Because one of the principles we see in scripture is that it's not enough to, to just profess a, a, an affection for Christ. Like, oh, I love Jesus. Okay, what is the fruit that you're producing in your life that is evidence of what you're just professing? It's, it's not enough to, to just show up to church. That's why we talk about growth track in small groups because we want to get you in a relationship. We want you to be producing something. What we're doing is, is we are watering the seed. We're cultivating the soil. We're trying to help produce fruit in your life. That's what we're doing. It's not just a tactic to get you to come open a door for people or we need you to serve. We're short in this area, so you come help. No, we're trying to help you produce fruit. And my question is, what are you producing? Are you just attending church? I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here. But if you're not producing anything, there's problems. He's saying, be productive. Produce something good with your life. Um, Back in, does anybody remember 2019? It was a really long, 
long, it felt like 10 years ago now, 2019. In 2019, October of 2019, I preached a message from Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the talents. And, and I won't go through the whole thing today, we don't have time, but if you want to, you can go back and listen to that message. It was in a series called Next, uh, second week of October, 2019. But in, the, in this parable, in Matthew 25, um, Jesus tells a story about this wealthy man who goes away for an extended period of time. And he has three servants and with one servant, and he gives them all a lot of money to manage while he's away. And with one, he gives them a significant amount, a little bit of a lesser amount. And then the third, he gives even less, but he doles it out according to their capacity, basically. Um, and the first two, they invested the money. And the last one, he buried the money in the ground. And he was scared that if he risked the money and lost it, that his employer would be upset with him. So the employer, the, the master comes back and he settles accounts like, okay, how are we doing? And the first one's like, hey, I doubled your money. The second one's like, hey, I doubled your money. And the third one's like, hey, here's your money. He was like, well, what happened? And he said, well, I buried it because I didn't want to lose it. So here's your money. I, I didn't lose anything. I I'm just holding steady. And do you know what Jesus, oh, you know what the master said to this servant who's just holding steady and hadn't produced anything, hadn't multiplied anything? He said, you lazy and wicked servant. Then he had him cast out. He had him cast out in this story to where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a metaphor for hell. See, we think we're being faithful by just showing up. Well, I'm just showing up. I'm not losing ground. I mean, I'm not multiplying, I'm not producing anything, but at least, at least I'm here. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not blessing the body. I'm not helping my people, but at least I'm here. I'm watching. I'm... And the master would say, true faithfulness is multiplication. It's producing something. Just holding on is not faithful. It's wicked and lazy. And, and I feel like the Spirit of God is saying, do better, do better. There's more resident in you than what you are giving and what you're doing. There is more kingdom potential in you than you can understand. Do better. When we're producing good things, it's amazing how hard it is to cause drama. So what's the result of this? We see in the passage, it says, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. Lost people are gonna start to notice when there's a change in your life. People who don't know God are gonna see you and be like, what happened to you? Man, your attitude has changed. You don't come to work the same way. That, that waitress at the restaurant you always go to that you think you're really generous because you leave a, a 5% tip on your bill every, every time, I'm, I'm giving 5%. They don't know how lucky they are. And the next time you go and you give 20% tip, it's gonna knock their socks off. They're gonna be like, what in the world is going on with this person? They've never tipped me that well before. Why? Because you're living generously. It's part of sanctification. People notice. And we want the world to notice. Not so we can get credit, so we can give God credit. And then it says, and you will not need to depend on others. And you go, well, that's great because I don't need to depend on others now. I have a job and I pay my bills and I'm good. Well, that's not really what it's talking about. Because see, many of us are financially independent, but you're dependent in other ways. See, I mentioned social media earlier. I mentioned those, those selfies. Oh, man. 
we're so dependent on others. We need affirmation from other people. We post a selfie of ourselves and so we need people to go, oh, you're so beautiful. Or, oh, you're looking good. Oh, you're so smart. Here's the thing I'm doing now. And we, we need people to go, oh, that's great. You're so awesome. We're not independent because we need people to tell us how great we are, how smart we are, how funny we are, how pretty we are. I had a, a lady, a, literally a week ago today, I met her for the first time. She and her husband uh, recently moved to the area and uh, they've been watching our church online for a couple years now. And, um, and it's difficult for them to get to church so they're continuing to watch online. And, uh, and I met her for the first time. I spoke to her and she said, Pastor, you, you are my favorite preacher Oh, thank you so much. It's so kind of you. I appreciate that. And she said, no, you don't understand. That, that guy you had today was fine. He was not Pastor Mel. I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, kind of awesome. <laughs> and I, I, it was funny. I said, yeah, you and my mom, you think alike, right? Like, but here's the thing. Um, I'm very appreciative when people give compliments about the message I preach. Um, but if I ever let my heart need that, I'm in trouble. Because what's gonna happen is I'm gonna start to shape my content to fit what will get me the right result. So I'm, I'm gonna have to be a little funnier. I maybe will, I will avoid preaching certain things because I wanna get the right result and I want people to like me. And all of a sudden, it's not a church, it's a cult. It's based on me and what I want. This is the cool part. When I can just say, God, I just want to please you and I'm just going to preach your word and I want to make you happy no matter what the people say. It gives me the freedom to preach what God wants. I've said this before from the stage. Um, someday when I face God, it's not going to be you I'm facing. I'm not going to have a, a congregational vote on how was my preaching today and that's what judges how I did. It's going to be God who I face, who who's, holds, me to account, holds me to account for how I've shepherded this congregation. And if I can only make you or God happy, as much as I love you, I'm going with God. And what it does is gives me the freedom to be independent, that I can go, hey, you know what? I'm making God happy. I'm not worried about everybody else. What if we lived our lives that way? Where we said, I don't need all the likes. I don't need all the compliments. I don't need all the, I just wanna live my life to please God. I wanna live my life in such a way where God affirms me. Because if we have God's affirmation, we don't need people's affirmation. If we have God say, well done, we don't need people to tell us well done. It still feels good, it's nice, but I don't need it. It's not driving my behavior. So what would happen if we decided to live quiet lives, free from drama, where we minded our own business, where we pursued God, where we just said, God, I wanna please you. I don't need other people to affirm me. I'm just gonna let you affirm me. I think we would all do better if that's how we lived. Hey, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. And they'll give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, today was a pretty direct message, right? Do better. But I hope you understand the heart behind it. It is not... Um, Chastisement, it is not me trying to be heavy-handed. I just want to pastor you through this. 
I want you to do better. Not because our church needs it. Not because we're short on workers or volunteers. None of that stuff. We need a bigger dream team. That's not what this is about. This is about you. You need to do better for you. God is inviting you into it. And if you don't step into it, you're leaving something on the table. I wanna see you walk in that. I wanna see you walk in the fullness of what God's got for you. But I can't make you. Only you can decide. Only you can say, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna love my spouse better than I thought I could. I'm gonna sacrifice more for my family than I ever thought I could. I'm gonna honor leadership in my workplace, in our government, in our world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna love God. I'm gonna pursue him. I'm gonna be more faithful to God than I ever dreamed I would be or could be. What if we just decided to do better? I'm telling you, it will change your family. It will change your workplace. It'll change your school. It'll change this county. If Summit Indiana and Summit Blairsville collectively would say, we're gonna do better, we could shift the culture of our communities. But it's gonna take all of us. Do better with me. Come on, I'm gonna do better. Will you join me? Our families need it. Our communities need it. It begins with the relationship with Jesus. So, so I wanna give you that opportunity. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. God, speak to us in these next few moments. Have your way with us. I pray for those that don't know you, let today be the day. Their hearts are fully surrendered to you. Let us hold nothing back. Thank you for loving us. Now, with nobody looking around, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in relationship with Jesus. I recognize that, but I wanna change that today. I wanna surrender my life to God. I wanna surrender my life to the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And I'm ready to do that now. I just wanna pray with you. And if you'd like to be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray with me. I wanna be included in that prayer to surrender my life to Christ. Yeah, thank you on my right. A couple of hands on my right. Thank you. Over here on my left, I see you. Thanks. Who else would join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I just wanna pray a prayer with you and I want you to pray this prayer out loud but I want you to mean it from your heart. So I want you to pray this with me, everybody in the room. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this moment on, my life is yours. Use me for your glory. Help me do better in every aspect of my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on.
Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Um, the simplest thing for you to do would be to either fill out the card and the seat back in front of you, take it to our info center when we finish here in just a moment, or you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about your decision or your rededication of Christ, and we'd love to help you begin to grow in your faith and take the next step in your journey. So please take advantage of that. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be here at the front of this room. And we are here to pray with you no matter what your need may be. So as we begin to sing, I would love for you, if you would like prayer, to just step out from your seat. And maybe you wanna come by yourself. Maybe you wanna come as a family or a couple, whatever it is, feel free, find one of our prayer team. Let them pray with you. And then in just a moment, we'll be dismissed and you'll be on your way. Uh, so why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's, let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. Uh, I want you to know, I love you guys so very much. And I am so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you all. Have an awesome week.